Bill Walichka joins us. The name of the new book, A Happy Has Been. Nice to see you, sir. How are you doing, John? That takes some moxie to uh, title a memoir, A Happy Has Been. I love talking about it. I get asked about it a lot. And uh, I have no problem admitting that for a lot of people, after much music, after much more music, I fell off the face of the earth, man, to them. I have never left television. I've always worked in television. I went to Edmonton to uh, co-host a breakfast television show when they rebranded it as City TV. Did that for a year. I was in Ottawa for five or six years doing weather anchoring for a CTV Bell Media affiliate. And I've been in Kingston the past 11, 12 years working for Global Kingston. And I think the the title, I love it because it does address the issue that for a lot of people, you know, out of sight, out of mind, I fell off the face of the earth. Where where are you now? But then there have been people who follow me, which blows me away from day one. And they know where I am now. And there's a large portion of people here in Kingston that watch who don't know about my journalism background. One of the important things for me is... Uh, I'm happiest now than I ever have been. And it's not nothing to do with the size of the audience. It's just about connecting with the audience that's available. And I learned that a long time ago. Okay, well, I'll want to close the loop, actually, at the end of the interview and come back to that thought. But I wanted to ask you if you remember the first music video that you ever saw. I do. I remember they used to run a video as part of SCTV on Friday nights. And they showed Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. And I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. Do you remember your introduction to music videos? My very first music video, I think, when I think back, are we counting live performances from Howard Cosell's show? You, you, you can uh, if you, you want, if that, if that was a marker for you. Bay City Rollers on the Howard Cosell show. He had a, I think it lasted one or two seasons, and it was the Bay City Rollers introduction to North America. And it was in the early 70s, maybe 75 or something. It was around the same time as Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack. And there was something about that performance, about the switching and the lighting and the audio and the screaming girls and that uh, made me fall in love with music and how it was presented on TV. If we're talking probably marketing videos, probably Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe Blondie's Heart of Glass... What was it like then to be part of, because, you know, like I listen to American Satellite Radio and a lot of the people who were the first generation of the video jockeys are now hosting radio shows. In Canada, mm. you know, people can reel off probably, you know, four or five of the uh, video jockeys who were a part of the formative period. So what was that like for you? I used to watch much like anyone else, when I was a kid in high school, uh, like anyone else, I rushed home to watch it. Erica M., Michael Williams, Steve Anthony, yes. Christopher Ward. And then working at much as an editor and being hired as an editor, because I sort of fell into the on-air stuff, but getting a chance to work with these people. And then falling into the on-air thing was awesome, of course, uh, all the traveling. I met everyone I've ever wanted to, but I never gave up on the behind-the-scenes stuff. I have never walked away from editing or producing. I love it. I love the process of telling a story, using pictures, using an interview, using music, moving things around. To me, that's a huge thrill. I've always done that with our specials or five or six minute segments. But the idea of editing and watching other people's interviews, I think, 
gave me a bit of an advantage to see what works, what doesn't, how to approach delicate subject matter in some cases. I sort of learned all that I did from editing, all of a sudden stepping in front of the camera. Pre-internet, and you're not a living antique or anything, but much of your work was happening before. I'm 29, John. Okay. Again. Much of your work was happening before you could just look up a Wikipedia entry. What was it like researching? That's a great question. I mean, you know, there was no internet. Well, not until maybe much more music came along uh, or in the earlier days of much. We had, we actually had a research department. I remember his name, uh, James Wood, I think it was. His job was basically go through newspapers, go through music magazines, do clippings, and catalog them in artist files. And it was very antiquated, but it worked. So if I had to do an interview with Phil Collins or with Robert Smith from The Cure, I would go to the filing cabinet that we would have, pull out a file, and there'd be 10, 12 clippings, maybe bios in there, previous interviews from somewhere else. And uh, yeah, just sort of base it on the clippings uh, a lot of times it was just you know the bio is all you had to go on and you're reading the bio and that'll trigger two or three thoughts for a conversation i don't like calling them interviews i always like to think of them as conversations not an interrogation but yeah you're and you listen to the record other ideas spring from that so you go into an interview with maybe four or five topics that you want to hit Sometimes you hit them, sometimes six minutes goes by and you didn't even ask any of the questions that you really wanted to. It became a, a, a great conversation, a fun conversation. Much allowed you to do that. It was great. There was no writers. There was no uh, someone, you know, offering questions for you to ask. It was total free reign. And it's a time and period that will never be replicated ever again, sadly. Okay, well, that's worth hitting on. You know, Moses Neymar in all of his work he was about trying to take the stuffing out of television, about taking a guy who was delivering letters in a building and telling him, you're going to be the cameraman today. Um, <laughs> how much do you think that liberated television and made it a much more intuitive, natural medium? You saw the results of it almost immediately around, uh, around the world with the presentation of newscasts with no sets, no desk. Uh, no anchor desk. Anchors were in the middle of a working newsroom, and it gave it that immediate feel where the anchor would walk over to the assignment editor and ask what he's working on for the late news. You know, like little things like that. You were immediately drawn into this environment. It almost made it three-dimensional as opposed to a two-dimensional set. When I look back now and look at what Moses, in the truest sense of visionary, what he created, uh, again, never replicated, it has sort of influenced the look of some outlets, but they never quite got it right. What YouTube was is what Speaker's Corner was. What Denise Donlan tried to introduce to Much Music when she became the director of music program programming was it wasn't just entertainment. It wasn't frivolous. It actually meant something, and it related to community standards. standards. Uh, there was uh, this push for being inclusive and inclusive is a buzzword now in the entertainment industry but uh denise and moses were doing that back in the late 80s early 90s and it's not until you remove yourself from that situation where you can actually look back and remember and recall all these things and how groundbreaking it was i am reliably told mind you that a lot of speakers corner was people masturbating 
<laughs> end of year office parties would feature sometimes some uh, outtakes from speaker's corner i didn't see any masturbation there was a job one time i think we saw lots of boob flashes and occasionally you had some guy with his take on local politics or something but uh yeah the christmas party uh, <laughs> always had interesting outtakes from speaker's corner i still maintain they could have done a midnight version of it I always hate it when people say, what's your favorite interview? Because that's, that's, that's a toughie. So I'll just ask you if there are memorable conversations, or at the very least, mm-hmm. like, I had an interview with David Bowie, and it was awful. But I still sat with David Bowie for 10 minutes, so that's good enough for me. Yeah, he's a tough, he's a tough interview. Mick yeah, Jagger he decides right away if he likes you or doesn't. John, I'm sorry. I had a great time with Bowie. Interviewed him a number of times. Mm. Always a great interview. But um, anyone that I had, you know what? This is funny. Anyone that I had a patch on my jean jacket in high school of anyone that I had a poster of in my bedroom, a poster in my locker in high school, buttons on my jean jacket, every single artist that I was a fan of when I was a younger person, I got a chance to interview, spend some time with and never disappointed and i'm talking about like you know led zeppelin i had a led zeppelin patch on the back of my jean jacket i managed to spend amazing times with all the live remaining members of led zeppelin and it's a perfect circle and there's a lot of perfect circles in the book now it's important for me to let you know john that i really didn't want this to be the ramblings of some old guy that (laughs) says hey let me tell you about that time where i interviewed bowie or was at madonna's house no, the work, the book works on a much different level. But yeah, great question. And then, uh, like, I have had a chance to interview every single one of my idols, and that never ceases to amaze me. And I'm forever blessed, and I will not ever be not grateful for that opportunity. Thanks a lot for this, John. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, sir.